Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we can call you Father. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we pray that may Christ alone be exalted in our discussion. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Wow, we thank God for this opportunity and this privilege to continue our study. And all too soon, we are on the final episode of our series we have been doing for the past four weeks, that in the garden, in the garden. We have been perusing Genesis chapter 3. And last week, we ended off with a question that, what do you do with the dead? So before we take our final commentary on that, uh, my friends will come in and share with us anything they have learned from Genesis chapter 3. Since that was the chapter we were focusing on. And we would like to begin with Abena. Can you give us a commentary on Genesis chapter 3? Okay, so I'd like to share from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and his. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So I believe this verse was more of a prophecy of what was yet to happen. From this verse, I think the battle referred to over here in that verse was between Satan and the seed of a woman. And I believe we all like know a little biology and we know that when they say somebody has taken seed, it's usually a man and a woman's components coming together to make that seed, which is a baby. But then over here in the Bible, the verse said the seed of a woman. So the seed of a woman signifying or hinting of the virgin birth. We all know that in the Bible, Mary got pregnant and was a virgin birth. And that's how Jesus was born. Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So it was a virgin birth. So I believe the seed of a woman in this verse refers to the Messiah, which is Jesus Christ. And the verse said again, I'll refer to the verse again. You shall bruise his heel. Thus, the serpent shall bruise the, the heel of the seed of the woman. And Jesus Christ was bruised by Satan in a diverse number of ways. He was betrayed, he was bound, he was accused, he was scorned, and he was spat on. And the verse also says again, He will crush your head. Yes, he will crush your head. So Jesus Christ crushed the head of the serpent by redeeming man. Jesus purchased our deliverance from the kingdom of Satan and translated us into his kingdom of heaven. He rescued us, he redeemed us, he restored us, and he forgave us. And you can find this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. Thank you very much. Thank you too. I like the way you said a man and a woman's component is what they call holy language. God bless you. And many have made um, the idea that because of what God said, that I'll put enmity between man and the woman. That is why we have many women in churches, because there's an ongoing battle, a special battle, going on between women and the devil. Well, um, we invite Bene to give us her commentary. Okay, I would also um, like to share from verses 17 and 18. The Bible says, 
Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I have commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thongs and thistles it shall bear forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. So we realize that because of Adam's sin, one consequence of Adam's sin was the bringing forth of thistles and thongs. So it was like because of Adam's sin, the ground or creation itself was corrupted because of Adam. But the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 27, verses 29, the Bible says that when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of Jews. So Christ was given a crown of thorns, and I think it's something that we can take a look at. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So Christ Jesus, when he came to die, he took away the curse of the law, the curse of sin. Because of Adam's sin, the whole creation was corrupted. And so when Christ came, he came to take away the curse of the law, the curse of Adam's sin, including corruption of not just the human race, but then corruption of the entire creation as well. Thank you. God bless you so much, Bene. We'll go to Baba. Kindly give us a commentary. Thank you very much. Please, I would also say that from everything that we've learned in Genesis chapter 3, I would add that we shouldn't allow ourselves to be deceived by the devil through its cunning nature. Rather, we should resist him in our life so in any aspect of your life that you see the devil domineering or taking hold of you just resist him rebuke him by the word of god so that he will flee from you and then you run to jesus run to the savior so that you might not fall for his tricks because christ has paid the full price for our redemption so we shouldn't allow the devil to be a dictator in our life if you are born again and then the devil is holding the part of you just resist him and then run to the saving power of jesus christ if you are not born again and you are struggling with the devil as you continue to hear the word of god allow the spirit of god to minister to you and resist the devil in your life amen Amen and amen. God bless you, Baba. We'll take the final one from Benji. <laughs> Can you give us a commentary? Thank you very much for this opportunity. Yeah, I know we've learned a lot and I would like to share something small. Um, I think one thing I want us to take note of is when we look at the texts that's from Genesis chapter 3, I think Adam and Eve, one thing they were not aware of was the presence of the devil in the garden. And one thing I want us to take note of is our ability to discern the schemes of the devil. And Paul made us understand that we are not ignorant of the devices of the devil. And because the devil thrives on the ignorance of men too, um, use his schemes against us. So once you don't know about his schemes, then you're certainly going to be a victim of his weapons. 
yeah so your ability to discern is very key to stand against the wiles of the devil because if adam and eve had known about the devil and then known about how he goes about his operation they would certainly have avoided him the very moment that he came and as sam said that the word was given to adam and it was adam's responsibility to give the word to eve exactly as god gave it to him and also to prevent the devil from having an interaction with eve yeah so i just want to say that our ability to discern is very very important in we knowing the schemes of the devil and then avoiding it yeah so i'm just entreating us to stay with the holy spirit and then allow the spirit of the lord to open our eyes to see the schemes of the devil because the bible said that the serpent is wise and even jesus christ when he was sending his disciples he told them that they should be as wise as the serpents so the devil's schemes will not come in the obvious ways for you to know that this is the devil speaking or this is not the devil so your ability to discern is very very important in knowing the good from the bad so i'm just entreating us to strengthen our discerning prowess here by staying with the word and also with the holy spirit because there are some things that are made clearly known in the word so that one you have to know from the word that this is good or this is bad and the others that have to be known by the holy spirit that you need the holy spirit to let you know or the more you fellowship with the holy spirit to let you know about the schemes of the devil as the bible said that the carnal man cannot understand the things of the spirits because they are spiritually descend so there are some things that you can learn you need your spirit man to ascend so i'm just entreating us to stay with the holy spirit to help us grow or mature spiritually so that we can know the schemes of the devil and then live a victorious life amen Amen. Amen. God bless you so much, Benji. God bless you. Um, as I was going through the book of Genesis, particularly the chapter 3 and the chapter 2, I just made two observations that I just want to throw out there. And I would like to hear your views. The first one I noticed was in Genesis chapter 2 verse 8. The Bible said that and the Lord God planted let me read it. And the Lord God planted a garden towards the east. God planted a garden. Uh, it's quite interesting because when God was making the heavens and the earth and all those things in the earth, he spoke them in. But interestingly, the Bible didn't say God spoke the garden into being. Never said God planted the garden. And I think it's an interesting verse. That's Genesis chapter 2 verse 8 that there's a lot to it than meets the eye. The other thing that dawned on me was that God gave a command to man that they should fill and multiply the earth. That means that God didn't intend or or I want to ask you what 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 do you think that means in the sense that we know that the garden of eden was not the whole of the earth it was it was a part of the east so that means that one way or the other man was not going to stay forever in the garden because there's no way you can fill and multiply the earth with human beings whilst you are still in the garden okay maybe adam and eve would have been in the garden that would have been their permanent office but human beings that's the rest of us 
would have been outside the garden. And I think it's an interesting thought that you should really take into consideration. Yeah, so those are the two. And I'd like to hear your thoughts about it. What do you think about those two things? What do you think about God planting a garden? God actually coming to take loamy soil and, <laughs> and and what do you think? And I think last week too, I threw something out that if Adam had not sinned, Jesus would have still come. And maybe one day you'll look into it. But tonight we want to just take the final part of our episode. In chapter 3, the verse 13, God said, Woman, what is this that you have done? And sometimes because we just read the Bible, as in we just glance through the Bible, we miss out on, on the riches of the verse. So we just take it literally like, oh, woman, what is this that you have done? But what Adam and Eve, I'm sure, were not even fully aware was that the sin of disobedience that they had committed had set in, in motion a series of reactions. And that is what we are seeing in the world today. They saw up creation, including themselves, freely to the devil. They took the human race out of life and were plunged into death, into darkness. So that is why we see all the pain we are seeing in this world. Just, just this week, I heard the news of a bastard, an accident full of children, full of children. About I think there were about 30 children in a bus and they I don't know if they all died, but a number of them died. And you know, we see all pain going through. People are full with sickness. People are battling cancer. People are battling diabetes. People are battling heartbreaks. Homes are being broken. People are... So this is what God saw when he told the woman, what is this that you have done? What is this that you have done? You have not just disobeyed me, but you have sown See, you have corrupted the entire human race. You have set in action a series of pain. So I think um, in the book of Job 14, Job made a statement like, what is man? Few of days, but they are all full of troubles. Woman, what is this that you have done? But in the verse 15, God made an interesting statement. And that's what we want to peruse. God said in the verse 15 that I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and the offspring. And he will bruise and tread upon your head and you will lie in wait and bruise his heel. Wow. What an interesting statement. So you see, last week we established the fact that when man sinned, when Adam sinned, man died. Ephesians lets us know that we did not just die, but we ourselves become death. So whenever a man steps into a place, death has come inside. Whenever a man steps into a place, darkness has come inside. So we ourselves were now the custodian of death and darkness. That is why we see all the evil we are seeing in this world. People have set themselves as enemies of people. (laughs) You see the way people are causing other people pain. Because now man had become the embodiment of self. Man had died. In fact, man was kidnapped by sin. Man was in a state of death. Total, or man was separated from God. And this was the agenda of the enemy. That's why when God got to the serpent, he didn't even ask him, serpent, what is this you have done? When he got to the serpent, he just declared it's his sentence. And interestingly, the serpent did not even make any comment. It was like, yes, I'm a sir. Yes, I'm a sir. Because he knew what he was doing. But this is where the shocking thing came about. Because the enemy knew that when he himself sent in heaven, the Bible said that Michael and his angels fought against him and he was cast out of heaven. And there was no longer a place found for him again. Because now Satan had become a murderer from the beginning. Jesus said that he became a murderer and a liar from the beginning. So he knew that 
what he had done, there was no way, there was no way he could come back to the Father. And this was the same agenda he had for man. He had that man who lived in a state outside of God. So Satan thought that he had accomplished the mission because he knew very well that there is nothing else that you can do with the dead than to bury the dead. And last week, as I said that no matter how you love your father, no matter how you love your husband, no matter how you love your wife, no matter how you love your sibling, when they die, you would have to let them go. You can go to a funeral girl and sometimes you see the way the relatives or the loved ones of a deceased person cries. You wonder, can they live life outside this person? But interestingly, a week after, a month after, a year after, life is still going on. So no matter how you love the dead, sweetheart, you must let the dead go. But this is what that people, or this is what the shock that God brought into the universe. Because Satan didn't know the extent to which God was willing to go for man. So because now man had become kidnapped by sin, so there needed to be a ransom that has to be paid. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. In other words, what you pay when you sin is death. So if you want a car, what do you pay for it? Maybe $1,000 or $10,000. So this is the price of the car. So when anyone sins, there's a wage, there's a salary, there's a ransom that you must pay. And the ransom is death. So that is, whenever you sin, the price you pay for sin is that you must be separated from God. We were not just separated from God. We are now slaves of sin. We were now slaves of the devil. The devil held us at a ransom. And the issue is that if, you know, mostly we in our part of the world, we don't really have cases of ransom here. But sometimes if I'm uh, armed robber or the strategies some people use to get money that they will go and kidnap a child of a rich person. And they will send a message that if you want your child back, bring $1 million or bring this amount of money so that in exchange for your child, I'll give you this amount of money. But the sad news for man was that we ourselves were broke and we were kidnapped. So we were broke and kidnapped. There was no way out. There was no escape route for us because now we needed to pay a price that we ourselves were owing. But sweetheart, the story was not yet over. And Satan knew very well that the justice of God demands that the soul that sinned should die. So then there was like a spiritual court that was set in place. And you know, for a court to have, or for there to be a court, there needs to be a judge, there needs to be a lawyer, there needs to be an accused, an accuser. So the judge was God, and the accused was a man, and the accuser was the devil. So now the devil presented a case to God, that Papa God, just as I said, and you did not give me any place, justice also demands that the man that has sinned should die. But little did he know that God had a seed in store. So in Genesis 3 verse 15, he said the seed of the woman. Now the devil didn't even get what he was talking about. And let's just buttress that point with, with Malachi chapter 2 verse 15. It just emphasizes about the seed. I'm using the Amplified Version so it sounds a little bit nicer than what you guys like King James or the NIV would say. And I was like, and did not God make you and your wife one flesh? Did not God make you and preserve your spirit? And why did God make the two of you one? Because he was seeking a godly offspring from your union. This is the Amplified Version. So the reason why God added Eve to man was not just to keep man company. There was more to just letting man help or giving man a helpmate. There was an agenda that God had in mind. God had in mind that through the union of a man and a woman, God was going to seek a godly offspring. That is why I said that even if man did not sin, Jesus would have still come. 
and there was a reason why he was coming and now I'll leave it in the fridge. But now the issue that man himself had become corrupted. So anybody who was born of a union of a man and a woman by default becomes a kidnapped person. So last week I also gave the scenario that if your parents were taken as slaves into another man's land or another man's home, when your parents give birth, the child is automatically a slave because why you were born in slavery. You were born in slavery. So Galatians, so what did God do? God said that no. Instead of getting a seed out of the union of a man and a woman, he now said now the seed of the woman. And Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 also battles this, this truth. It says that Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, will be reading a lot of scriptures. And for some of them we will read it, for some we won't because of the, the sake of time. But I'll try as much as possible to give you that location of every scripture. Then Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. The Bible says that when the proper time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman. Listen to what he said. Born of a woman, not born of a man and a woman, but born of a woman. Talking about the seed of a woman. And I was like, born under the law. Now then verse 5. To purchase the freedom of those who were subjected to the law, that we might have the adoption of sonship that is conferred upon us. Don't worry, you will understand this by the time we are done. So now the issue was that a ransom needed to be paid because now man has been kidnapped, a man himself is broke. But the justice of God demands that man must die unless man pays the price. And it's interesting. So it's like God and the devil were having a negotiation. How much does this soul of man cost? And it's interesting in First Peter chapter 1, verse 18, it says that, you must recognize that you were redeemed from your useless way of living, inherited by your forefathers, not with corruptible things such as silver and gold. That's the verse 18. So when God was looking for the price of the man, not the gold in this world, not the silver in this world, was worth enough the value of a soul, was worth enough the value of man's life. That is why Jesus said that, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That is even just the value of a single soul. So that means one individual soul is worth more than the world. So now what can God give in exchange for the soul of the human race? So the devil thought that the story was over because he knew that the only way that this debt could have been paid was that man should die. But here's where God shocked everybody. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. We mostly quote this scripture, but let's look at it in the context at which it was spoken. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. But rather... We are setting forth the wisdom of God, which was hidden from human understanding and is now revealed to us, which God had decreed before the ages for our glorification. So that means that God had a particular wisdom that he wanted to display. And that wisdom, the end product is that we would be glorified in the ages to come. And now this was what the devil was ignorant of. This is what he was ignorant or this is what he did have an idea about so the verse 8 tells us that none of the rulers of this age knew perceive or recognize this i'm using amplifying if they had known they would have crucified the lord of glory but on the contrary scripture says that eye has not seen ear has not heard either has it entered into the heart of men that which god had 
prepared for those he loved. So the issue was that nobody, the universe, all creatures, did not have an idea the extent to which God was willing to go to get man back. So what was the wisdom of God? The wisdom of God was that God had to sow his son as a seed. Now let's go to Romans chapter 8. We are doing a Bible study. Romans chapter 8. So Romans chapter 3, the verse 22 following. Let's have the verse 23. We know the verse 23. It says that for all our sin and falling short of the glory of God, most of us will like to stop over there. But it says that all are justified and made right with God. That means that all have no longer, or that which was bringing us the separation between God and man has now been dealt with. How? By His grace through the redemption in Christ Jesus. Now let's just go to the verse 6. It shows that how God did that the verse 25. Who God put forth as a mercy seat by the propitiation of his blood, talking about Jesus, to show for God's righteousness. So the Bible was telling us how did God bring us back into right standing. It was by sowing his son. But my point is in the verse 26. Why did God have to sow his son? The verse 26 gives us an idea. That is to demonstrate and to prove at all present times that God himself is righteous, and that he justifies and accepts as righteous all those who express faith in Jesus. So the Bible is telling us that why did God have to go through the process he went through? Why didn't God overlook sin? Why didn't God ignore sin? Why didn't God tolerate sin? Why didn't God accommodate sin? After all, because he is God. But the Bible says because of the justice of God, he himself needed to fulfill the demands of justice and the demand of justice that man had to die. So now let's go to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. So now God had to come up with a scheme. And I'm using the word come up because of a lack of a better word. Now let's see how did God pay the ransom. The Bible lets us know in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. And I read. It says that we will look at this verse again. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, in a similar manner, took upon himself the same nature that by death he might bring to naught and make of none effect. He who had the power of death, which is the devil. So now what did God do? God had to sow the seed of his son. Now because it was flesh and blood, that handed over authority to the devil. Because it was flesh and blood, that ushered in sin into the world. The demands of justice was that flesh and blood needed to pay back. But this is what the devil did not know, that God sowed his seed. So Jesus was a bait, and I'll explain how Jesus was a bait of the devil. And you see, because the Bible said, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that none of the princes of this world had known what was going on. So they were not aware of what God was coming up with. So Jesus, or God, sold his son, which is Jesus. And you know, in John chapter 12, verse 24, the Bible said that a corn of wheat abides alone until that corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies. It abides alone. But when it falls and dies, it brings forth much fruit. So God was looking to harvest back a generation of sons, a generation of children. So God had to sow his son. But the issue was that the devil was not aware. So now God needed a way for Jesus to become sin. So Jesus was sown as a bait. So when Jesus walked on the earth, the devil had no idea what was going on. So after 30 years, and after 33 years, he realized that this man, he's just going about doing miracles. He's just going around giving good teachings. He's just going around casting out devils. We are not seeing his relevance. Then the devil decided to strike. 
So the devil saw weakness in a man because the devil knew that there was something special about Jesus, but he just could not figure it out. And as this man is just there, he's wasting my time. So God sowed a bait in the person of Jesus Christ. So what Satan saw was weakness. But what God was doing, that God was now going to pay the price for the sin that man had committed. So what did God do? God had to first do what we call the substitutionary work. So as I gave the early example, that now, so this is what happened. There was a court that was set. The judge was God. The accused was man. The accuser was the devil. But the court cannot set in motion until there is a defense attorney, until there's a lawyer, because everybody demands that he has representation. So then what did the judge do? The judge gave his son, who was also a lawyer, to defend man. But the issue was that man had no defense because man had sin. Man needed to pay the price. But little did the devil know that this lawyer who was brought in to defend man was willing to take the place of man. So the devil was still, he was not really sure what was going on. So you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when everything was about to go, when the showdown was about to happen, Jesus was praying that, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass me by. What was the cup? The cup was the wrath. The cup was the justice. The cup was the, the price that needed to be paid for the sin of man. So Jesus really wanted to throw in the towel, but then he thought of us. So Jesus was finding out, God, is there a way out of this situation? Because now the lawyer had to now take the place of the accused. Because that was the only way he could pay the price in full for the redemption, for the ransom. But then whenever Jesus thought of giving up, he remembered us. Then immediately after that, the soldiers came. And this was the process when the spiritual exchange was taking place when now the lawyer was taking the place of the accused. So first, Jesus was counted for a murderer because we ourselves were murderers, because it's really a criminal that we sent soldiers to go and arrest him. So immediately after the prayer, then Jesus accepted to drink the cup. Immediately, Jesus accepted to drink the cup. He drank the cup that we should have drank. Then the divine or the spiritual exchange was going on. So they counted Jesus for a murderer because we were murderers. And on the cross or on his way to the cross, that's when God was bound us back so jesus was rejected so that we would become accepted jesus was bruised so that what the lashes that we deserve he took it on our behalf jesus was spat on so that you and i will not be spat on a thorn of flesh was put on his head to pay the labor of the curse on the earth so that we will not have to labor but we would enjoy the grace of god so there was a spiritual exchange so what the devil saw was an opportunity to maltreat somebody. What the devil saw was weakness in a man who was claiming to be the son of God. So then whenever they were lashing him, what the devil thought that he was abusing somebody, what he didn't realize was that there was a spiritual exchange that was going on. So the Bible tells us that by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. So what was God doing? God was in Christ Jesus buying back our healing. When they spat on him, when they disgraced him, what was God doing? God was, God was buying 
bring back our ashes and giving us his beauty. When he was rejected by all men, it's interesting that when they ask him, what shall be done to this man? Where were the people that Jesus healed? Where were the people that Jesus gave the signs to? Where were the people that God raised from the dead? On the day when he was at Golgotha, when he was, when they were deciding whether to crucify him or whether to let him go, none of these people came on the scene. The people he had healed. Where was the woman who was bent forward for 12 years? Where was the, the blind people? All these people, the people that Jesus healed, these were the same people who were rejecting Jesus. And Jesus was rejected so that we would become accepted. Jesus was humiliated so that we would not be humiliated. So Isaiah tells us that he gave us beauty for ashes. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, Paul also gives us more light. He said, don't you know the grace of God that for your sake, because man had become a broke, kidnapped person, he said for your sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. So what the devil was not aware was that God was behind the scenes pushing him so that he would commit himself not knowing that there was a spiritual transaction going on. God was buying us back and the last step was on the cross. The Bible says that cursed be every man that hangs on a tree. So Jesus himself became a curse so that we would become a blessing. And finally the last thing was that Jesus himself became sin. He didn't become a sinner because if he became a sinner that would not have qualified him to pay for our price. Because how can a broke person pay the ransom for another broke person? And it's very interesting. And this is where, the, this is where God also outsmarted the devil. But I'll get back to it. So now we should appreciate that Jesus became sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. That is why on the cross, he said, it is finished. Remember, he had not yet died. <laughs> he had not yet died, he had not yet been buried, he had not yet resurrected. So what was finished? The spiritual transaction was finished. The buying back of the disgrace, the buying back of the cancer, the sickness, the effect of sin in the human race, that was what was finished. That's the first thing. And the second thing was that Jesus and God outsmarted the devil. Now, what do I mean? Jesus said in John that the devil or the prince of the world is coming and he has nothing in me meaning that there is nothing in jesus that gives the devil the right to deal with him anyhow so if any of you if you're a lawyer or a law student you have seen the court case one thing all the things that the defense always does is that they always try to discredit the accuser so maybe somebody presents a case that i saw brother a going to steal from the supermarket. Now, one of the strategies that defense attorney does is always try to discredit the witness that the attorney will bring. And this is where the devil missed it. Because the devil treated somebody who was Jesus, that he had no hold over because Jesus had no sin. Now, the devil himself did not have a case. He was not even qualified to accuse Jesus because he himself has treated somebody who had no sin as though he was a sinner. So the devil was already losing the case. So on the cross, when Jesus took upon the last drop of the cup of the sin of man, that's when the final exchange took place. So in 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible tells us, and he became him who knew no sin to become sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. And when this spiritual transaction had taken place, Jesus said, it is finished. 
But remember, the story is still not yet over because the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. I want to read this one. We know this scripture, but I want to read it. A very powerful scripture. The Bible says that, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead. We were darkness. Our state was bad. The Bible says in the verse 14, having cancelled out and blotted out the handwriting that was against us, how did you do it? One, by taking our place, by paying the price that we ought to pay. Two, by discrediting the witness, because the person who was accusing man of sin has now treated somebody who had nothing to do with sin as a sinner. And the Bible says that in the verse 15, that he disarmed principalities and powers. So now after he had presented or after he had taken the place of man and he had discredited the devil, he now went on to disarm him. And when we talk about disarm, it means that the guy had an arm. So it's like an arm robber. An arm robber means that a robber who is armed. So what did Jesus do? He disarmed the arm robber. And now what was the arm that the devil was using against us? We read it in, in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. And it says that, Since therefore the children shared in flesh and blood, he himself took of the same nature. So Jesus became man. And by becoming a man, he substituted himself for man. And now listen, that he drew death might bring to naught the effect of him who had the power of death. So what was the armor of the devil? The armor of the devil was death, was that he had been able to separate God from man. He had been able to separate man from life. So that was the armor, or that was the gun. So it's like a, a kidnapping case. So you see the way the criminals will hold maybe the, the person, um, uh, an innocent bystander, and they'll put a gun. That if you make a move, I will shoot. So that's what was happening. But what the devil did not realize, that by the time Jesus said it is finished and he died, there was a spiritual transaction that had taken place because now he himself had become, now he himself was qualified to die because now he himself has become sin. Through the process of death on the cross, he disarmed, he took away the armor, he took away that which was given the devil legal right against us. And after that, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, the story was not just over. The Bible says that now we who were dead, the Bible says he quickened us together with him. Let's read Ephesians chapter 2, the verse 8. The beautiful story. The Bible says that, let me read the verse, this is from the verse 5. Let me use the King James Version. The Bible says that when we were dead in trespasses and in sins, what did God do? He quickened us together. God did not leave us to see corruption. God did not leave us to be eternally dead. But the Bible said that after he did the substitutionary work, after he disarmed the principalities and powers, after he took away the armor of the devil, he didn't just stop over there. The Bible says that he quickened us together. In other words, he cleaned our mess. In other words, in Kenya, it's like oil, a palm oil that been left sleeping. The Bible says God applied heat because our state was dead and God did not just judge the devil. He did not just take our place, but he now quickened us together. And this is what shocked the devil and this is what shocked the universe. So in Ephesians chapter 3 verse, also the verse number 10, the Bible says that through the church that the complicated, many-sided wisdom of God might be made known so God shot the whole world. 
Because when everybody is throwing the dead, when everybody is giving up on the dead, when everybody is separating the dead, God did not just pay the price for the dead, but God quickened us together. And the Bible tells us back in Ephesians chapter 2, the verse 8, that he did not just quicken us together, but he did it in Christ Jesus. And when Christ rose from the dead, we arose with him. But yet still, the story was not yet over. Because you remember when Jesus resurrected in John, the Bible said that he came to appear to see Mary. And Mary thought it was the gardener. And Mary said that, where have you taken my Lord? Where have you taken him? I want to see him. Then Jesus mentioned her name, Mary. And immediately she recognized who she was talking to. And she wanted to hug Jesus. The Bible said he wanted to cling to Jesus. And Jesus said, don't yet cling to me because I have not yet gone to the Father. And he said that I have not yet completed the mission. Now that he has paid the price, now that he has disarmed principalities and powers, and he has quickened us together, he needed to present the case to the judge that judge, I have not just paid the price, I have suffered the consequences of their actions. So the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, the verse 11, let me read it from the King James version of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 9, the verse number 11. But Christ being come a high priest of the good things to come by a greater and a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is with, to say with buildings, neither with the blood of goats and cows, but with his own blood. Remember that when God was paying the ransom for us, he did not use silver or gold, neither did he use the blood of animals, but his own blood. And that is why he needed the devil, because he himself was life, and there's no way he could die. So he needed the devil to die. That is why I said that the devil saw weakness. But what did the devil know was that the devil was praying according to the plans of God. Because God needed Jesus to die. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So the verse 12 tells us that neither by the blood of goats and calves, but his own blood. So after he had shed his blood, he needed to go and presented to the verse 12 tells us, but now he entered into the holy place once and having obtained eternal redemption to us. So then Jesus told Mary that I have substituted you, I have paid the ransom, I have disarmed the devil, I have taken away the gun, I have taken away the armor, I have taken away the mission that the devil was having against the human race. But now I needed to present the final case to the father. So he told Mary that don't touch me yet because I am going to the father. And Jesus gave us a hint. He said, but now go to my disciples and listen to what he told them. He said, go and tell them that I am returning to my father and your father. Because now Jesus was going to the eternal, Jesus was going to the real temple, was going to the real holy of holies, which is in the heavenlies, to present his blood, to present his final case, that death to the father, I have paid the price and I'm bringing back these people that the devil had held ransom. Now, I don't want to bring them back as stewards. I don't want to bring them back as friends, but I want to bring them back as children of God. And the whole universe was in silence because what is this that God has done? This was the price that Jesus and the Father had to go through to bring man back. And it's very interesting that in all these things, man had no role to play. That is why Ephesians tells us that we were not saved by works that you should boast about, but we were saved by grace. And let me give you this scenario to, to help you understand. It's like, I have seen a woman and I'm interested in her and I get married to her. Then due to my union with the woman, like the way Adam knew Eve, I also get to know my wife. <laughs> and we bring forth a child 
Now, the child had nothing to do with the union between the two of us. The child did not ask himself to be brought. But now, because you have brought somebody into this world, it is now your responsibility to take care of a human being. So because of what Christ had done, after he substituted, after he disarmed principalities, he quickened us together in him. So the result of what God and Christ has done, there was a result and the result is you and I. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews that both he who sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one. And because of this, God is not ashamed to call you his son. So man are a result or the new creation are now a result of the reaction between God, the Father, and the Son. So we are now the offspring. So the Bible says that we have now received the spirit of adoption. After Jesus quickened us together, he told God that I want to adopt these people. We did not ask to be adopted. So it was purely an initiative of the grace and the mercies of God. And now that God is your Father, he has a responsibility to take care of you. And this is our message to you, that when we were in our worst state, God did not just give up on us. He went the extra mile to bring us back. And we did not just come back in the state of Adam. The Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. So we were not just brought back to our old place. We were now elevated to a higher place. That's why the Bible calls us a new creation because we have never existed before. And that's what many believers don't understand. You are a new creation. You have no history. You have no record. So when you go to God, so after you accept Jesus and you go to God and be like, God, I used to still meet. God is confused because he doesn't remember anything I'm talking about because sweetheart, you are a new creation. That is why, again, in 2 Corinthians 5, he tells us that he became him who knew no sin that we would become the righteousness of God. In other words, if somebody should go to God and somebody should say that, God, please show me your righteousness, he would point to you. And that was what the seed of the woman did. So the bruising of the heel of the seed was when he was on his way to the cross, when the devil was lashing him, when the devil spat on him, when the devil rejected him, when the devil hanged him on the cross, he was bruising his heel. Little did he know that there was a spiritual exchange taking place. So the same Corinthians tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world back to himself. And this is the message that God has given to us, that in Christ Jesus, God is no longer angry with you. That is why God is giving us the opportunity. Every day you live is God giving the opportunity. Is God wooing you back onto himself. Think about it. Why do you think God gives rain to both the wicked and the godly? Why do you think that God blesses both the believer and the unbeliever? So the blessings that unbelievers face, the blessings that people who have not expressed faith in Jesus face, it is God's wooing attempts that sweet that I want to have you back. So every day you live, it's God giving you an opportunity to come back. And I know many ask this question, that if I did not do anything, but they, they say, <laughs> you know, talk. they say I am a sinner. Why should I do something to become righteous? It was because you became a sinner because you were born out of a man and a woman. So through your natural birth, you became a slave to the devil. So also in your spiritual birth, you become a son of God. 
That is why Jesus said that you must be born again. So just as a natural birth made you a slave to sin, made you a slave to the devil, so also a spiritual birth makes you a child of God. So this for this evening, God again is giving us another opportunity. Every day you live is God's attempt of wooing you back into himself. And I would like to give this opportunity to anybody listening who wants to express faith in the substitutionary work of Jesus, who wants to be born again, who wants to have that spiritual birth. Wherever you are, I would just like you to close your eyes. Even as you enter into the spiritual labor room, through believing in your heart that somebody has paid the ransom price, and due to that belief in your heart, you want to make this confession. A Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for not giving up on us. We thank you that when we are dead in trespasses and in sins, you do not give up on us. But you sowed your son to reap many children. And this evening, in response to the love that you have for us, the love that will not let us go, the love, even when we were enemies of you, you still died for us. We open our mouth and accept the Lordship of Jesus into our hearts. We thank you that this very moment you have translated us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for accepting us as your children. In the name of our Lord Jesus, Amen. God bless you so much, even as you have made this step of faith. And as always, as a, as a brother in the household of God, I want to welcome you to the household of the Father, where God is your Father, meaning that He is responsible for you, He is responsible for your every need. And you as a son, the onus lies upon you to fulfill the desires of the Father. I welcome you to the household of the Father. And anybody who has given his life to Christ, feel free to contact us on the Telegram channel. I would appreciate it and have an interaction with you. God bless you so much. I really appreciate your presence with us, even as we draw the curtains to this episode in the garden. But just as I said last week, the story is still not yet over. So we'll be beginning a new series, God willing, next week. Remember to give God your best and make sure that you owe no man nothing but love. See you next week and have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.